Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Joy to the World is a popular Christmas song. This is the season for joy. But a recent study last year found that 88% of people feel stressed and anxious during the holidays. What is the percentage this year? This is going to be a stressful season. Some of you are already experiencing it because you know it's not good to be alone. We were made to be together. And we all know this, so I'm not going to dwell on the circumstances that we find ourselves in this holiday season. But I am going to teach you how to deal with it. Paul wrote the letter to Philippians while alone in jail. And he teaches us it's not our circumstances that should be the greatest source of joy. It is our Lord. And I just want to point out that circumstances have changed in the past and they will change and that is made clear by the Old Testament reading you heard from Isaiah 35. It's a prophecy about the coming kingdom of God. And we've talked a lot about God's coming kingdom as he broke into our world in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And how he continues to make all things new. Beautiful, beautiful passage about the joy of our Lord and what he wants for us. Read it again and again. Isaiah 35. The Bible reading you heard. Also from the gospel from Luke 10. It has to do with witnessing. Which we've been talking a lot about for the last couple months. Jesus sends out 72 two by two. To preach the good news about the coming king. And they were going to meet all kinds of opposition. But they come back filled with joy because they were able to do great things. And Jesus reminded them, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't rejoice in what you can do. Rejoice in what I have done for you. And then the next verse tells us that Jesus himself, at the return of his followers, Jesus himself was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. In other words, it made Jesus extremely happy that his children, his followers, were living the life he intended them to live. A life of joy in the Lord. The big question for us today is, how do we get that? People are super anxious these days, and they're looking for joy. Last year, the number one most popular, searched for, downloaded, tagged Bible verse on the Bible app, version was Philippians chapter 4. 
which you heard read today, what does that tell us? Well, it must mean that there is an awful great need for joy. People are looking for answers. When I'm anxious, how can I have joy? Because we all have anxiety, but joy is something that it's maybe harder to obtain. So, if you are feeling anxious or stressed, don't feel bad. The majority of people on planet Earth, apparently, are feeling the same way. And if, dear Christian, if your anxiety tends to overcome your rejoicing, Paul is going to teach us how to correct that. Philippians 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. That's obvious. Paul is in prison. Paul has been arrested. Paul is broke. Paul doesn't know what his fate is. He can't rejoice in his circumstances, but he can rejoice in the Lord. Why is that? Because God's disposition, God himself, his disposition is one of delight. God is a cheerful God. God is a happy God. God is a pleasant God. Psalm 18, verse 19, God delights in us. That is his default disposition. And that being said then, we can always access the Lord's joy. Rejoicing in the Lord literally means going to the Lord to get your joy. You may not get it from your circumstances. You may not get it from your relationships. You may not get it from your wealth or your health. But you can obtain joy in the Lord. And that will help you to live a life, good or bad, weeping or rejoicing, in the Lord. God is constantly joyful because God is love. And there's an opportunity to access that joy. And we got to talk about it. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. There are certain days, seasons, or circumstances that we all want to say, oh my, this is such a big deal. This is bigger than my joy. But it's not bigger than the joy of the Lord. Paul is not saying that what you are struggling with or suffering through doesn't exist, isn't real. But what he is saying is that God's joy is bigger than whatever strife or struggle or strain you are experiencing. Paul here is not denying reality. He's not saying, I love prison. When is the next beating? I can hardly wait. That's his life that's his lot in that moment. Instead, he is able to access joy in the Lord. 
It means that this kind of joy is only possible for those who belong to Jesus Christ. It's only possible if Jesus Christ is your Lord. Then you can access his joy always. Now let's be honest. We've all got things. Some of you it's financial. For some of you it's vocational. For some of you it's relationships or health. Whatever it is. And you don't struggle with joy all the time, but when something bad hits that particular area, then your joy is fleeting. Rejoice in the Lord always. And one of the lies the enemy tends to tell us is that joy is impossible under some of these circumstances for you that you are the exception to the rule. And God says, rejoice in the Lord always. When life is hard, you need more joy. Because to go through hard seasons, sometimes God takes you around hard things, and sometimes he takes you through them. If he's going to take you through a hard season, you're going to need to be strong. And a Bible passage should pop right into your mind. Nehemiah, how often do we get to quote Nehemiah? 8 verse 10. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord will strengthen you so that you can go through whatever you need to go through. So just because life is difficult doesn't mean you need joy. Actually, it may mean you need a deeper measure of joy so you are actually strong enough to endure it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Some hear that and they say, mm, I disagree. You don't understand. Let me tell you my terrible, tragic tale of life and all the struggles that I'm having. Yes, it may be real. And Paul may be sympathetic or empathetic, but he says it again. He says again, I will say, rejoice. It's almost like he expected people to say, but that doesn't apply to me. So in other words, he says it again, rejoice. In other words, stop being grumpy, rejoice. Philippians 4, verse 5 and 6, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. We've all got a category that is more difficult and troubling for us some of you don't worry about money, money. Some of you do worry about money. Some of you worry about relationships. We each got our category. We each got our thing. Do be sympathetic and empathetic of one another. They worry about different things. We all do. Why do you struggle with that? I don't know why do you struggle with that. We all get our area where our joy is tested.
And we have anxiety which is easier for us to default to. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Things to do to get joy in the midst of stressful time. Now you can have this verse memorized and yet still not experience this joy. Information is great, but ultimately these words have to affect change in you. Unless this truth lives in you and you are able to live in the joy of the Lord, it may, sound, it may be something that is in your mind, but it's not in your life. And God wants more for you. So here are some practical things of finding joy, even when you are stressed. And I'm just going to deal with a few of them. First one, make every day Thanksgiving Day. The nation pauses and we all pause and say thanks once a year. What are you thankful for? And let me say that for the Christian, this should be a discipline every day. Every day. It doesn't mean that everything is good, but it does mean that there is always some way or means to rejoice in the Lord and to have thankfulness. For those of you who are type A, those of you who are driven and really organized, neat nicks, there's an increased opportunity for you to be stressed and anxiety. At least that's what the experts tell us. And you tend to bring stress upon yourself. And what tends to happen is you think, well, that as soon as I fix the problem that I'm in, as soon as I can fix it, or this happens, or this thing is resolved, or I get out of a bad season, then I will be happy. And it never happens. Instead, Paul is saying, right now, what can I be thankful for right now? And this is a way for us to reframe the circumstances that we're living in. There's always something to be thankful for. And for some of you, this is your natural disposition. But if you're like me, you have to remind yourself to make every day Thanksgiving Day. Number two, make your will your rudder. When he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, he's talking, what he's talking about is that reasonableness is a state of mind. Think of it this way. It's like a sailboat. Your emotions are like a sail. Your life is like the boat. Your mind and your will, that's the rudder. And what happens if the sail is filled with powerful winds, and there is no rudder on the ship, well, what happens? Eventually, it veers off course. It capsizes. It crashes into the rocks, and it ends badly. People who are driven by their emotions are ultimately driven to destruction. 
And so your emotions, they're a powerful force indeed. And when you are experiencing some level of stress or anxiety or pressure or resistance or burden or crisis, your emotions are going up. They become stronger and more powerful like the wind. It makes it more important than ever to make your mind and your will your rudder. Whoa, this is how I'm feeling. How am I going to respond to this? Where is this going to take me? What am I going to do? It says, God's peace will guard your hearts and your mind. You need your heart, your emotional life, your mind, your mental life, guarded and guided by God's reasonableness. Some people make one of two errors. They take the sail down. They say, you know, I got emotional. I said some things that I shouldn't have said. I did something that I shouldn't have. I got off course, and I'm just going to take the sail down. I'm not going to care anymore. I'm just not going to be emotional anymore. You do that, that means you can't love, you can't rejoice, you can't be emotionally empathetic for someone or present for them. Other people are like, well, I want to be present, I want to be passionate, I want to live an exciting life. But they have no rudder. You need both. You need the passions of your emotions and you need the direction of your will. That's letting your reasonableness known to everyone. And let me say this. Sometimes we are unreasonable and we don't know it unless we're married. We need people who love the Lord to tell us whether or not we are being reasonable. True or false, sometimes when we are emotional, we're not reasonable. Hmm. Is this a rational response? Am I making good decisions? Am I processing wisely? That's what Paul means when he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Make your will your rudder and invite other people to examine how you are thinking. The King James Bible said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the third thing, and this is so important, and may this motivate you. When you start to panic, stop to pray. Everything by prayer. Now, some of you will say, well, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to stop. I don't have time to process that. I don't have time to think about that. I'm way too busy. I've got way too much going on. It's a crisis. And what I would say, then that is your very first priority, to pray. Because you might be active, but not productive. You may be doing a lot, but not accomplishing a lot. When you're panicky, it's not that there's no reason to panic, 
but it is that the panic ultimately has to be settled and the way we do that is through prayer and this is where sometimes when we're panicking we complain we'll vent we will sometimes self-medicate instead of meeting with the Lord Paul is saying when you're feeling anxious you need you need to meet with the Lord and you can because the Lord is at hand which Lord which Lord is at hand it is the Lord Jesus Christ now let's think about that for one moment how full of thought that one phrase is I want you to think of the Lord Jesus and his life did Jesus have any stress yep did Jesus ever sin no but Jesus did have stress therefore having stress is not a sin it's an opportunity to worship or worry and you know the story Jesus during his adult ministry there were people who hated him conspiring to destroy him that's stressful there are times when he's homeless and hoping people will let him crash at their house because he's got no place to lay his head that's stressful he doesn't have a wife or kids to comfort him or go home to and distract him that's stressful he knows that one of the 12 that he has chosen has been plotting to destroy him and has been robbing him that's stressful all of this culminates as Jesus is headed toward the cross and at the Last Supper you know the story when Jesus is having dinner with his disciples Satan enters Judas Iscariot and he leaves to go set in motion an execution and murder plot that he has been scheming for months and Jesus knows all this that's stressful and Jesus knows that coming very shortly he is going to endure the most painful arduous wretched of deaths by crucifixion and flogging execution on a Roman cross in front of his mother that's stressful and it's the night before Jesus's death he's going to die in our place for our sins do you think he sleeps no and Jesus asks his friends pray for me please in other words help carry this burden with me and what do they do they go to bed he wakes them up I really need you to help me carry this burden would you pray nope they fall asleep again sometimes when you are suffering you feel very very lonely because you are carrying a burden that other people don't feel Jesus was carrying a burden that even those who were with him and loved him they weren't carrying the same level of burden so what does Jesus do well he does exactly 
what Paul tells us and the Philippians to do. Matter of fact, I'm quite sure that the Apostle Paul probably learned this from the example of Jesus. What does Jesus do when he's stressed? He prays. He prays. He's up all night in the garden called Gethsemane and he's praying to his father. And he articulates his stress. Father, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. And that's the cup of God's wrath. He knows that if he goes to the cross, he will be taking, our, taking your place and my place, that he will suffer and die in our place for our sins. He would endure the wrath of God for us. That's stressful. Knowing this, the Bible says that he was sweating drops of blood, so he felt it. His body gave him all the signs of incredible stress. And ultimately, he realizes through prayer that the Father has a plan for him, and he comes to a settled, resolute conclusion that he's not going to go around it. He's going to go through it. Sometimes God will get you around your circumstances. Sometimes, if he doesn't, he gets you through it. And sometimes, if he doesn't get you through it, he will take you home in it, right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. And Jesus then declares, not my will, but yours will be done. He's not saying, here's what I demand. He's saying, I'll do what you command. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That on the other side of the cross of Jesus, there was joy because the Father was glorified, the wrath of God was satisfied, and sinners like you and me were saved. There's always reason to rejoice. If Jesus in the midst of stress like that had joy set before him, enduring the wrath of God and going through it, then there's an opportunity for the children of God to follow in the example of Jesus. So when Paul says the Lord is at hand, which Lord? The Lord Jesus. And this is what is extraordinary about the Christian faith. We have a God who got off of his throne he saw our anxiety and our stress and he came down anyway to experience it fully. Hebrews 4 verse 15. Therefore we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, the Bible says. Jesus says, I know what it's like to have someone betray you and abandon you. I know what it's like to have someone steal from you. I know what it's like to have someone lie about you. I know what it's like to have someone press false charges against you. I know what it's like when your friends fail you. I know what it's like when you can't pay your bills. I know what it's like when you're homeless. I know what it's like when you lose a friend. I know what it's like when you are dying. I know what it's like to be alone. Jesus understands. 
Jesus gets it. And Jesus gets in it with you and goes through it with you. The Lord is at hand. I mean, that's amazing. This is the great opportunity of the Christian, and no one has this opportunity apart from Christ. So when you are unable to hold the hand of a friend or a loved one because of the present circumstances, remember, the Lord is at hand. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.